Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, Season 3. This podcast is for and about people getting ready for their first ever pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago in Spain, France, and Portugal. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the podcast. Glad you're here. This is Nancy, back again with another After the Camino episode. This time, we will be hearing from Laura, who's from close to Chicago in the U.S. She walked the final 100 kilometers of the Camino Frances in June with her adult daughter. If you want to get refreshed on Laura's story before listening to this episode, you can go back to Season 2, Episode 15. In today's episode, Laura shares with us how her seven-day supported pilgrimage went. Laura and Emily used the company Spanish Steps to arrange their accommodations, meals, and luggage transport. If you are considering using a tour company and want to hear some of the benefits of doing the Camino this way, you will want to hear Laura's report. One of the things that came up during our conversation was the Botafumero, which is the giant incense burner or censer used in the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela. Laura and Emily were fortunate to witness the swinging of the Botafumero. You can easily find videos of this spectacular display, which occurs on special holy days and also when a group or organization pays for the ceremony. When Laura and I were talking, I didn't have some of the details about the Botifumero at my fingertips, so I looked them up for you. There are a couple of different Botifumeros used in the cathedral, and they weigh around... 80 kilos. For those of you who think in pounds, that's around 175 pounds, a full adult human. At top speed, the Botifumero travels through the air at around 65 to 68 kilometers per hour. That translates to somewhere around 40 to 42 miles per hour. Can you imagine that whizzing past you as you sit in a church pew? What an experience. I hope you'll be able to catch that when you are in Santiago. Okay, we will get to Laura in a few minutes, but first I want to give you the first listener tip of the season and also answer a listener question. I'll start with the tip. This tip comes from Claire in New Zealand, who will be walking the Camino Frances in April and May of 2024. Claire wrote to me just after she finished listening to the episode on socks and boots, which was in season one, episode four. She says, I am an experienced backpacker and want to say, well done. Your information is spot on on boots and socks. I like to wear one pair of icebreaker merino socks. They are not thick and they give my feet room in my one size bigger boots. Okay, that's the first part of the tip. 
to buy your hiking boots one size bigger than what you would normally wear. That gives your feet room to move and to swell and expand as you walk. It also allows for plenty of space for your socks to fit in. And if you remember from episode four in season one, I recommended that you buy your socks first and wear them when you try on your boots. Here's the rest of Claire's tip. She says, I tell my newbie friends that if they think they have a stone in their shoes but can't find one, they have a hot spot which needs to be taken care of. That's a great tip. If you feel something in your shoe or boot and you can't find anything going on, that's the time to treat it as if it's a blister in the making. Now, the way I like to treat those is to use some duct tape or Luco tape, something to make a second skin. Some people like to use Compede, which is a product commonly found in Spain at all the pharmacies on the Camino. All right, great tips, Claire. Thank you so much for writing in. The question for today comes from Joe from Pennsylvania, who will be walking the Camino Frances in April 2024. Here's what Joe says. My question is, do folks normally land in Paris early enough to catch the train from Montparnasse to Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port in the same day and then start walking the following day? Or is it more advisable to overnight in Paris, take the train to Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, overnight in Saint-Jean, and then start walking that following day? Well, these are such great questions. It reminds me of, I think it was the first tip I gave you, the first top tip from season one, and that is don't rush the start. In my experience and from what I've observed, it really makes a difference to take your time at the beginning of the journey. When, well, you might be jet lagged for one, it gives you a chance to rest your body and get it caught up to the time zone. It also gives you a chance to slow down and look around you, to meet people, to share your story and hear their stories. I like to think of it like a first kiss. You only ever get one first kiss. You only ever get one first Camino. So why not take your time, savor the experience, enjoy it, I can't tell you how many times I have observed pilgrims get as far as Pamplona, stop and take a deep breath and wonder what the heck just happened. So to answer Joe's question, which I bet some of you are also asking, taking your time at the start of the Camino sets you up for a different type of experience. Now, you may be short on time, and if you're short on time, feel free to throw this idea out the window. And just watch where the timetables line up. This is the other component to that. Sometimes the connecting timetables of the flights and the trains that get you to the south of France don't line up with your incoming European flight. Well, truth be told, this question does get asked a lot. And I really appreciate Joe bringing it up. It's such an important question that I have included it in the Camino Frances Getting Started audio guide that I'm going to be launching this week to my email list. So if you're interested in the audio guide, I'd like to make sure that you are on my email list. 
so that you can get the first notifications for that. So I'll be launching the audio guide on Thursday, August 3rd with a special offer. And if you'd like to receive that special offer, just make sure you've signed up for my email list by the end of the day on Tuesday, August 1st. How do you do that? Well, it's really easy. There's a link in the show notes that you can follow to sign up. You can also go to my website, thecaminoexperience.com. That will put you on my email list. It will also cue my system to send you my free top 10 Camino tips that don't usually show up on the top 10 list. And then a few days after you get the top 10 list, you will also get my Camino planning roadmap. Okay, now why am I launching this audio guide this week? Well, (laughs) the reason is I, I just almost can't believe this. August 2nd is the one year anniversary of when I launched this podcast last year on August 2nd, 2022. And I love anniversaries. I love to mark time. I really love to honor and acknowledge when something good happens. And from what I'm hearing from my listeners, this podcast is something good. I'm hearing from my listeners that it's really helping you get ready for your Caminos. And that is the greatest feedback I can possibly get. So let me say again, thank you for tuning into this podcast. You are the reason I'm here. And I love sharing in your Camino journey. So now let's hear from Laura. Hey, this is Nancy. I'm here with Laura, who was a guest in season two, episode 15, and she was getting ready to walk the Camino. And she's back again to tell us about her trip and share her experiences. So hi, Laura. Hello, Nancy. (laughs) I can feel your enthusiasm already. It was wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to get to all the details, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if if there was any. But let's start by doing what I always like to do, put the pin in the map, and let's remind our listeners where you walked from and to and when, how long you took, and who you walked with. Okay. So my daughter and I started in Saria, and we were with a group, and there were in, it was a small group. There was one other couple from Canada who were about my age. And then it was kind of serendipitous that at the probably two weeks before we left, a woman around my daughter's age joined the group. She had wanted to do something and job opportunities and things changed. And so she jumped on it. So it was really kind of perfect because, you know, I had some people around my age. And then she had a person around her age, which was fun, but we all blended very well. So we started, we met in, we all met in Lugo and then we were taken by van to start in Saria. And then we walked together to Santiago with accommodations set up along the way. So we would walk most of the day and at our pace, have a nice lunch. And then we walked, I guess we were gone for seven days. So we walked for seven days. 
Seven days. So you walk Saria to Santiago, which is about 115 kilometers in seven stages, seven days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I just want to uh, refresh everyone's memory. You used a company to coordinate everything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. You want to tell us about that? Yes. It was wonderful. We had two guides, Monica and Sophie and Monica was Spanish and Sophie was from Belgium. So they had, they stayed with us. They walked either one took the van ahead of time and one would walk with us, but not, it was just a wonderful way because they really wanted it, everyone to make it their, as they said, it's your Camino. So they encourage people to walk by themselves, different combinations, stop when you want to, have a coffee when you want to. We did all have meet up at lunch, but sometimes that meant somebody was waiting, you know, got ahead and they were waiting for lunch or at, for the other people to, to join them. So I highly recommend if it's really nice to take a lot of the planning out of it so you can really focus on walking and they know the best place to get food. You don't have to do lots of, you know, all the research. I learned so much history and and, and experienced things that I probably would go into a town and I wouldn't have found them, you know, found that charming little church to go into and have some somebody explain the meaning of this church or cemetery. So it was wonderful. That's fantastic. You know, so many people, when they decide to walk the Camino, they look at what's involved to get going and to get started. And it can be really daunting to mm-hmm. look at the many tasks that you have to work through, the the to-do list is enormous. And even if you hire a company to take care of some of those things, you still have a to-do list to -hmm. get yourself to the Camino. So I love that. I love that you identified what would make this doable and enjoyable for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even my daughter, who's obviously quite a bit younger than me, she actually liked it too. She liked that because she felt like she could just focus on walking and we didn't have to take a lot of the trial and error. Where do you, where should we eat lunch? The other thing that was really nice is they broke out like the mileage to do each day. And where I think when you look at sheer kilometers, you don't know that journey you know, 10 kilometers flat, as opposed to 10 kilometers uphill is going to be very different. So they, they chunk it out where it's a nice way to do it. Okay. So I think what you're saying is you might have a a longer day and then a shorter day. Mm -hmm. They've chosen those distances based on the terrain you'll be walking on sort of to make it a balanced Mm -hmm. seven days. Yes. Yeah, boy, insider information is really Mm -hmm. cool. And the other thing they did, which I thought was great, is we were going to be walking into Santiago on a Friday. 
and we wanted to go to the pilgrim's mass. And so we walked a longer day on Thursday. So then Friday we got up and we only did five kilometers. We actually all wore our Tiva sandals. We didn't even wear our walking shoes. And we walked into Santiago like fresh. And then we went to the pilgrim's mass and it was, it was just such a, like we had energy. It was, and we could really take it in and we didn't feel like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, being tired, like we really could just enjoy it and felt fresh. So I thought that was a wonderful way to do it. I'm really moved by that. There's something about that that really touched me. And I think it might be because if I remember correctly, there's sort of a, um, a tradition. So if you go way, way, way back before mm-hmm. modern times, people would stop at Lavacoya, uh, which is 10 kilometers from Santiago. And mm-hmm. it, it sort of translates to wash yourself. Yes. And so people would get cleaned and freshened and ready mm-hmm. for the approach to Santiago. And then now in modern days, there's a, an albergue just about three or four, maybe five kilometers mm-hmm. from the center of Santiago, where many people will stay the night. And that's probably very close to where you stayed. And to have that fresh walk into Santiago, it's sort mm-hmm. of a way of honoring the mm-hmm. finish line you know, the, the physical finish line, you're never, you're never done with the Camino, I think, but yeah, to honor that finish line. That's Mm -hmm. beautiful. That that's a very insightful plan. Yeah. And then we enjoyed the mass and they also, we were lucky enough to be at the mass when they, I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce (laughs) the, the incense. <laughs> that that's a hard one. It's a boto fumero. Yeah, giant incense yeah. burner that they swing. How did you feel? Oh my gosh. It's spectacular and it's unique and no nowhere else would you get this experience. No. But it evokes some emotion. So what did it feel like for you? It just was it just for me was to to be in this cathedral with people you know, I only was standing next to my daughter. This man next to me shared this little corner of a pillar that we were kind of balancing on. And to have just the respect of, you know, and I, I'm sure a lot of those people in that in the cathedral weren't Christian, nor, I mean, they weren't Catholic, nor even Christian. But to have the honor of, of something and everyone was so respectful and in just awe of the tradition. Yeah. It was amazing. And then earlier that week, Monica, one of the guides said, oh my gosh, I just found out we could go. They opened up. We can go in to hug St. James. So we were able to go in, which I didn't realize was such that sometimes it's closed. Like they closed it because of the pandemic. Wow. What incredible timing. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know who's listening in, 
there's a statue of St. James. It's, it's sort of like a bust. It's, it's a, mm -hmm. a beautiful statue behind the altar. And you are able to queue up to walk up to it and hug the saint. And it's a long, I mean, I'm getting emotional just talking about it because I remember when I did it on my first Camino. And even for someone like me who's not Catholic, and, and St. James didn't have a particular significance but to sort of feel the history and the legend and the significance of St. James holding the space in this cathedral, it's a significant moment to go up and, and hug the statue of the saint. Yeah. So what was, I'm sorry, I just totally stole your limelight. Yeah. Tell me what, what was your experience it like? Just, it was just, well, and it was, I just, I just was in awe of how respectful people are and they queue up and there's no pushing there's no just just like you said the history and I know I'm repeating myself but I just I guess I'm a kind of speechless that all these people come from all over the world and there were all ages of people that they come to this this one city and honor something and the history it's just incredible and we were standing so some a friend of mine who had walked like maybe a month before he he told me he said sit on either side of the cathedral on the either either side don't sit in the main which is usually not usually when you go into a church or you want to sit in the main, you want to see the altar, you want to see the priests. Yeah. I took that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, all the listeners, if you get to the pilgrim's mass, sit on either side, because then you can see, you can see the incense because otherwise it will just, you don't see the impact of that. And then we were sitting on the side where the actual men come out who are going to hoist the incense. So that was that was wonderful to see that happening, you know, behind the scenes of what was going on. And then I guess there were some reserved seats that people were trying to sit in, but I think it was the people who maybe had paid because hmm. I guess you can you can pay to have it be at that I don't even know what you call it to be used at the cathedral. So they got to sit there. So um, it was wonderful. If you don't mind, I'll fill in some of the details here. Yeah. Cause when we talk about it after the fact, there's all this emotion and, and I was there and it was amazing. <laughs> and you got to sit here and, yeah. and it's just, I mean, and the nun was singing and the organ yeah. was playing and, I mean, <laughs> when I go now, all I have to do is be in the cathedral when it's happening. And I just sit, just start crying mm -hmm. from such deep emotion from the early memories. So cathedrals are built in the shape of a cross, right? So mm -hmm. the altar is where the long part of the cross and the short part of the cross meet. That's the, the heart of the cathedral. That's the, um, where the altar is located. And usually when we enter a church, we enter at the back, which would be the base of the cross. And we walk up the center aisle and we find a seat and we're facing the altar. Mm -hmm. 
what you're describing is the short ends of the cross mm-hmm. on the sides. And so when you're in the cathedral, if you sit on those short, short sides, that's the trajectory of the botifumero yeah. is it swings along that short end of the cross, mm-hmm. if we imagine it as a cross. And with the incense burner in the middle at the very heart, and there's the one man who goes up and starts it, you know, yeah. he grabs it and gets it going. And then I think my favorite moment is at the end when he stops it, because it's yeah. like, it's still moving and he grabs yeah. on and makes it stop. Yeah. And then the men, I think it's six or seven men who pull on the ropes to make it swing. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of the details. I'll try to find the details so that I can put them in the show notes of how heavy the botifumero is, how fast it moves. Mm-hmm. It's spectacular. It's mm-hmm. a spectacle. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's just spectacular. Did you notice that everybody had their phones out and were recording it? Yes. Yeah. And it, all I did was I could not, I just kept looking up because it goes all the way. It's parallel to the ceiling. So it is like kind of a half, what a half circle, the swing. Exactly. It's like a swing. If you imagine a child on a swing yes. when it goes up to the high point and it looks like, oh, they're going to fall off this swing and yeah. they don't. It's that moment where it's it's suspended in midair for a moment mm-hmm. and then it swings mm-hmm. back to the other side and it's suspended yeah. in midair for a moment. Yeah, it's really very spectacular. How wonderful that you got to experience that. Yeah, that was great. Wow. You got me moved. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So you saw that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? I also wanted to mention, you talked about how some people can pay to have it, mm-hmm. have it swung yes. for lack of a better, better way of saying it. That is accurate. And you can contact the cathedral office in Santiago by email. Mm-hmm. It costs 500 euros to pay to have that done, to have this, that ceremony done. And so if you are traveling with a group and it's worth it to you, you know, if you Mm -hmm. have 10 people who are each willing to pay 50 euros, Mm -hmm. you could pay to have that ceremony done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I think I found, I've learned that from my daughter because her friend, friend of hers did it in May and went with a bigger group from, I think it might've been from her parish or something. And they did that. And that's how I found out about it. Um, okay. So we figured there was some bigger group that was doing it. So we got to benefit from that. So, <laughs> And that happens all, all pretty often. Mm-hmm. There are a set number of holidays and special religious days that they do the ceremony when nobody pays. And mm-hmm. those are listed on the website of the Pilgrim's Office in Santiago. I'll have the link for that in the show notes. Other than that, you just hope that somebody Mm -hmm. has paid for it. Yeah. And then I always get there super early because I want to sit in the front row. Yeah. uh, Because it's really exhilarating to have that thing go flying past you. And that moment when you wonder if the rope's going to hold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's beautiful. Yeah. And all the pilgrims are there. Mm -hmm. I ask about the smartphones because I, my thought is I can watch a video on it on YouTube or with no problem, but to be present in that moment and to be watching it like you did with my very own eyes Mm -hmm. rather than through a screen is just incredible. Mm -hmm. I've never recorded it. It's amazing. Beautiful experience. 
Okay. Tell me more. Oh, it just, it, it just kind of was just a wonderful mixture, just the entire trip of physical challenge, cultural, social, you know, I met people, we stayed in very unique accommodations, wonderful. The food was good. You know, it just, for lack of a better, it just checked all the boxes. You know, it just was amazing. And it is now like even leading up to after I did the podcast with you, I found out all these other friends of mine who were doing it this summer or are planning to do it and want to find out how I did it. I found out that my friend who did a different route, he ended up having the same guide as we did. It's just fun to have all the connections. Yeah. You really are part of the pilgrim community now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now I know listeners are now wondering, okay, I'm going to need your stages and I'm going to need to know where you stayed and where you eat, but we're not going to do that because you paid a company to provide that information for Mm -hmm. you. And so one, we will respect and honor that unless mm-hmm. you want to, you know, rattle it off. Yeah. Well, the, the company that I used was Spanish. It was Spanish Steps. And I just highly recommend that their experience. In fact, we were walking into this one town, my daughter and I, and Monica had told us we were going to go to this great place for lunch. And it was to the left. And as we're walking to the right, we saw this other restaurant that had beautiful umbrellas and it just looked like a place. If you were not familiar with the area, you would go to that one. Well, that restaurant was empty. And the one we went to the left where we were meeting our group was full and the food was wonderful. So there's benefits to go with people who know the good places to stay and eat. Definitely. And you know what, as a guide on the Camino, it's one of my favorite things is to share all the good stuff, Mm -hmm. all my favorite spots, you know, we're going to go to this bar instead of that one. And I'll tell you why later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just love that. Do you remember where that was? Because that might be a fun thing to share with people. You know what? I don't. I could probably look in my in my notes because we always okay. got a little paper map with history on the back, which was also helpful. It was kind of in bite-sized pieces, what we just needed for that day. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, there's so much history and there's so much to absorb that it's kind of nice to just get it in real time. Like Mm -hmm. this is what we're going to be seeing today. This is church we're going to go into or the cemetery or the cross or something, you know, or the runes, like the Celtic runes we're going to see instead of getting it all at once for the whole week. It's like a curated exhibit. It's specifically for what you need. Yeah. And that's really a benefit of doing it the way that you did it. You have the energy to digest that and Mm -hmm. to focus on that without having to worry about the other things and getting arranging meals and arranging places to stay and, and carrying your backpack. They're completely different experiences, all valid. 
Mm-hmm. And but what I can see if I wanted to pull out the gold nugget in what you got is you you said it earlier, you really got to focus on what you wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important point for any first time pilgrim is to think ahead of time, not when you're on the trail, but think beforehand, what kind of trip do you want? What kind of experience are you longing for? Mm-hmm. What are you after? Yeah. yeah. And especially on your first Camino, because you only get one first Camino. Mm-hmm. That excitement and anticipation, it will never again be the same. So if you went and walked the Camino again or walked another route, you'll never again get a first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think you might walk the Camino again? Yes, I definitely would would like to. And I'm just wondering the what route, but I think I would like to do, you know, some of the shorter. And then I, I liked really treating it like a vacation. I felt rested. I felt energized. I, you know, doing it for a week and then feeling, feeling good about it. So Spanish steps offers other walking tours. They do one that you start in, I think you might start in Siena in Italy and end up in Rome. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> So it's definitely prompted me to look at some other experiences. So fantastic. Yeah. In our first conversation that mm-hmm. was in season two, you mentioned that you are part of the Catholic tradition. Yes. And that there was a religious component to this mm-hmm. for you. Would you talk about that a little bit and how that played out? It brought me just more faith, more. It just felt more honor being in Santiago. There are many convents. You know, we actually stayed in a hotel that had been a monastery, but part of the monastery is still, you know, it's only part is the hotel. So we could hear at breakfast, we could hear chanting. That was unbelievable. And then there's a convent that sells cookies. Do you know about the convent right behind the cathedral? I know of it, but would you believe in all my years, I've never been there. There's no signs and you just kind of look for an open door and you go in and you just ring, ring a bell and this cute little nun opens, opens up this wooden slider and I bought a box of these wonderful almond cookies, but take your cash, no Apple pay, no credit card. You need cash, cash only. And it was really funny being my daughter. When my daughter and I were there, there was a group of about five Spanish young guys, probably twenties, thirties. And I think they were trying to do it, but they didn't have euros. And I almost just gave them my some euros so they could have the experience of buying. How much cash do we need to have on hand? Do we need to have 10, 20? I think it was maybe 10 euros. Okay. 10 or 12. All right. So make sure you've got a 20 in your wallet when you go and that should cover your cookies. Yes. Yes. I love it. It, You know, after so many years on the Camino, I started going in 2005 and have been just about every year, but there still are things I haven't done and seen and experienced. And I, it reminds me that 
this is such, there's such depth to this experience and breadth to the Camino itself, the physical part of the Camino, the history of the Camino, the experiences of it, that it could take a lifetime to find and experience mm-hmm. everything. And one of the things that hits hard for some people is the fear of missing out. You know, I went to Santiago and I didn't, oh, I didn't see that, or I didn't get mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. You know, there's a shadow pilgrim. Did you see the shadow pilgrim when you were there? I don't know. It's behind the cathedral as well in one of the plazas. And the way that the lights at night hit a particular post, mm. it looks like the shadow of a pilgrim. And I've never seen it. I've seen uh-huh. photos, but I've never seen it. And I uh-huh. think of it like um, if you're familiar with the Trevi Fountain mm-hmm. in Rome, they say the, the tradition is you put your back to the fountain and you throw a coin over your shoulder into the fountain. And that ensures you will always return to Rome. And I think of these things like my Trevi fountain, I'm not doing them to ensure I always go back. Mm. So I'll never not get back to the Camino. There's so much there. Now, one tip, there is a, a tourist information office in Santiago that could probably help you find that door is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to do the next time I go is go to the tourist information office, get a map of the city and say, where's that? Yeah. They can help you find it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Now, one of the things you said in your first interview was that you were really looking forward to traveling with Emily and that you have traveled with her before and it's been a Mm -hmm. great experience. Anything else you'd like to share with us about how that went traveling with Emily? Yes, it was great. We had funny, funny stories. One of the the young girl, Lauren, who was her my daughter's age, she started every night we at dinner, we would kind of recap the day. Everyone went around and said, what was your rose? What was your thorn? And what were you looking forward to? And it could be something very, you know, very simple or something you didn't plan to do. So I remember one day, there were probably two physically challenging days. But we always did legs up on the wall. And so we were in our hotel on opposite walls, laying there just talking, you know, and she was just filling me in on things that were going on in her life and her friends. And so we got along great. Probably the second day, I like, I get up, I love to chat in the morning. Finally, like the second day, she goes, Mom, no talking before coffee. So I said, okay, okay. <laughs> but in a very sweet, you know, a sweet way. So it, it was good. She was a trooper and uh, had a lot of fun and, and really enjoyed it. It's great. So it was good. Great. Yeah, very good. So if I, if I sat down with Emily and asked her about the experience, what do you think she would say? I think she would say she was surprised that how much she enjoyed being with a group. I think she really enjoyed it. You know, she obviously was raised Catholic. She did go to Catholic school. So I think that kind of opened up some spiritual doors for her. I think she really, really enjoyed the Pilgrim's Mass and hugging St. James. I mean, that she was definitely into all all of that and wanted to kind of explore the cathedral and 
one night we had a drink at the hotel, you know, the hotel right on the square. So it was really pretty to see that at night and to kind of take that in. And also the square at night is fairly empty. You know, there's not a lot of people in there. So that just to kind of see a different view. Yeah. I love that because for many people walking the Camino is about seeing a different view, very literally and very metaphorically Mm -hmm. to get a different view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that plaza for those who who haven't been to Santiago yet is the plaza in front of the cathedral. It's, it's one of those, I think it's a a Gallego word that's hard for me to pronounce, but something like Plaza Obradoro. You have the facade of the Cathedral of Santiago, and then to your left, you've got the Parador Hotel, which used to be a hospital for pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And it's just a beautiful building, old building, and now it's a fancy hotel. It's wonderful mm-hmm. to go in there and treat yourself to a high end beverage or mm-hmm. chocolate con churros or something yeah. like that in the, that really luxurious atmosphere after being a pilgrim on the road. Yeah. Now, did you get your Compostela? Yes. Yes. What was that experience like emotionally? Was that significant to you? Well, we were very lucky that our guides actually did the, they took, like we, we got all our stamps along the way. And then the guides when we were in the mass, they were, they went and did the paperwork for us. Oh, wow. I have to say it was very fun to get our stamps along the way. Yes. And I love showing people my passport with all my stamps. And I can remember looking at them. That's where we had lunch. And that was that, that church with the rose petals on the floor and just very meaningful stops along the way. Oh, I love that. It's the perfect souvenir. Yes. Because there's there's a physical when you stamp it, it's some mm-hmm. it's something very physical and tangible. Yes. And you're feeling all your senses are engaged in what you're where you are, what you're hearing and smelling mm-hmm. and tasting, and boom, there's that stamp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's really cool. Some people listening may not know this yet, but from Saria to Santiago. If you want the Compostela, you have to get two stamps a day minimum. Did you have any trouble finding two stamps a day? No. And we would just get them like any place we stopped. We would just get them because it was just kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. The Pilgrim's Office website is really specific about the requirement. And so I'll mention the requirement, but then I'll also say that in actual practice, when they're checking giving out 1,200 Copastellas a day, it's not likely they're going to look very closely. But officially, you need one where you stay each night and then one the next day from that same town. But in actual practice, people probably are a little bit more flexible on where they get the second stamp, but Mm -hmm. definitely where you sleep each night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask one question about Spanish Steps and the group. There are a number of ways to do this thing. When you talk about hiring a company to book your reservations and and do your luggage transport, you also can choose to go with a group or go by yourself. So I don't know if Spanish Steps in particular offers that, 
did you explore the option of just having a company book everything, but you going independently and just you and Emily walked? Did you look at that as an option? I didn't. Okay. I reached out to a travel agency. I know the woman who manages the office. And I know she had walked it with a group a few years ago. So I reached out to her asking her, who would you recommend? And she said, this is where I send any of my clients to. So I really took her recommendation and booked it through Spanish Steps. Great. These referrals are priceless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just another consideration for anyone listening, you can walk with a group or you could have it all booked for you and walk independently. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Anything else you'd like to share? If anyone has any I thinking they want to do it, I think they you should just do it. I mean, I think it's very doable. Don't let the physical part be holding you back. We met like an 80-year-old woman walking it who's going to be writing a book about it. And she just did little chunks every day. And then we met a family from Florida who was walking with their three-year-old and their five-year-old. You know, so I just feel like it's, you don't have to do, you know, 10K or 15K or 20K a day. You can just do it what works for you and your experience. Right. Yeah. Just say yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Break out the calendar, pick a date that works with your life and, and let's get this thing going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's great. Laura, thank you so much. I really appreciate oh, well, you coming you. back on. And thank you for all the information. My pleasure. 